Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivided.com. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... James Hunt and Caroline Sita. Yeah, so um, this was supposed to be our Iron Man 2 episode today, but I'm sure listeners you've probably realised from the title of the podcast, this is not our Iron Man 2 episode. Um, Unfortunately... I was on a delayed train at the weekend, Seb was looking after a baby, and we couldn't get together, uh, record our Iron Man podcast, so instead we thought, well, we've been promising this Jessica Jones special, let's do it this week, and let's bring Caroline in to discuss it. Um, So that's what's happening this week, and our Iron Man 2 podcast will arrive next Wednesday instead. So Caroline, thanks so much for coming back, Um, our listeners will remember you from... uh, a really excellent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode <laughs> we did earlier in the year. Uh, thank you. I'm so happy to be back. Always fun to chat movies with you guys. Well, TV this time. Um, oh, yeah. Because, That's because what we're talking is, about. It's like a 13-hour movie, really. It's a 13-hour movie. That is exactly what Netflix executives would like you to say about all the shows. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we uh, we had a little bit of a conundrum. Uh, we we sp- James Seb and I spoke briefly about Jessica Jones on the podcast when when we kind of seen like uh, the first couple of episodes each, and James and I d- d- probably vaguely positive, a little bit skeptical, but kind of warming to it. Um, and then the problem came because we kind of promised that we were going to be a lot more positive about the show once we got round to recording the special. And I think it's fair to say that James and I still had a lot of problems with it. But we were slightly worried that we were being weighed down by having read Alias, um, by having really liked Alias. Also, the fact that quite a lot of the stuff that was being praised about the show was um, was talking about uh, PTSD, trauma, this big central metaphor that was running through the show, um, and crucially, a lot of gender stuff. And James and I are both guys, and we thought it would be very good to have um, a female perspective on the show as well. Um, and so, Caroline, we're not just bringing you in because you're a woman. Uh, but, um, I'm the token I think it- hire. I think it certainly helps to have a, a bit of a more varied perspective for this particular property. I, On the one hand, I'm bummed you guys don't like it as much. But on the other hand, I, as a contrarian often, I respect that you guys have taken the opposite route of a very <laughs> uh, critically lauded show. <laughs> I, I have to say it's not that I, um, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know whether this goes to you as well, James. I didn't hate the show. I just had problems with it and I couldn't 
get fully behind it. For example, I would still say I prefer Daredevil, which is a show I think that had some uh, that had some pretty big problems towards the end, especially given that its finale was pretty dreadful. Um, but that that was a show that I think I, I came out liking more. Is that is yeah. that fair fair to you as well, James? Yeah, I mean, I, when I finished it, I went back and looked and thought, you know, eight out of these thirteen episodes are pretty solid stuff. But there were kind of it was the wider sort of narrative and plots and like the the strong focus on the themes that sort of got in the way of the characters and story. Maybe that you know that's what I came away thinking. These things haven't worked for me. So there was a lot I liked, but a lot that I didn't like as well. And it was kind of two two quite extreme poles. <laughs> well, I think it would probably benefit to start off. Uh, by talking um, about all the things we liked about the show. And so, Caroline, it would probably be best for me to come straight to you then. And <laughs> it, just for you, why why did this really work for you? What hit home about Jessica Jones as, as well, an entire series? Yeah, I, I will say it's a different show than I think I was expecting. It's, a, it's mm. dark in a different way than Daredevil is, uh, mainly in that it's sort of like a psychological thriller almost before anything else. But I think it's what I really connected with is it's incredibly smart in how it lays out its world and in what it wants to accomplish and, and, and sort of in the choices it's making. And even even the things that annoy me, and there are definitely things that annoy me, I felt like I understood why the show was trying to insert them and it was just mm. a problem with execution. Uh, and I, I kind of like the both the, the like thread of dark humor that runs through this. I think that that uh, Kristen Ritter manages to get a lot of like little beats of comedy in there that lighten things up. Um, and I think it's the, well, the main draw is the combination of the Jessica and Kilgrave relationship. I think both Kristen Ritter and David Tennant are excellent and sort of watching that dynamic play out between Jessica and Kilgrave was always super compelling for me. I mean, when, when I asked you about the, what you'd like to talk about, about the show, um, you came out to me and said that there were kind of three key questions that you thought would be interesting to discuss. And that was whether this was a good private eye story, whether this was a good superhero story, and then kind of whether it was, it served as a good exploration of gender and trauma and survival um, and, and that kind of stuff. And um, I think rather than separating those three out and talking about them all separately, I think it would be interesting to talk about how the show manages to serve as all three of those at the same time and whether it manages to tick all of those boxes at the same time or whether any of the stuff ever gets in its gets in the other sort kind of aspects of the story's way so i think jessica we we definitely start off with a very like raymond chandler kind of vibe jessica being this hard drinking cynical private eye um, who is wandering around New York, following people, taking pictures, uh, doing doing the whole um, doing the whole private eye kind of thing, and we we kind of I think the 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 other kind of things slowly seep into it. We start to get an idea of her superpowers as well, and we get to uh, within the first couple of episodes get a better idea of what her past is and what kind of event has transpired in her past that is kind of leading her to suffer from this PTSD. Um, 
James, how did you feel that the show kind of balanced the private eye stuff with the superhero stuff and this bigger central metaphor of Jessica being a victim of the horrible abuse from Kilgrave um, and dealing with her PTSD afterwards? I mean, I think I think the PTSD aspects of the show were kind of... They were really well handled and sort of consistent throughout the series. Um, it's more, for me... What didn't work was the way the kind of private eye aspects got sort of... I think it was about episode six or seven, It kind, they kind of dropped it. Like, it had been relatively consistent, but I think as soon as Luke left, they they sort of lost the PI aspect, and that definitely threw me, because it kind of changed the whole sort of structure and tone of the series, and I kind of didn't know what to expect after that point. No, I agree that... It, I think that the, the, I agree that the trauma stuff is really consistent throughout. And that I think is, is where the show is at its best. Um, and then the PI and superhero stuff, it kind of feels like they're always, for a lot of the show, they're in conflict with one another. So like the first couple episodes, I think they don't necessarily work super well as superhero stories, but I do think they work really well as PI stories. And then Mm. at its best, the show kind of balances them both. Like I think that third episode balances them pretty well. I agree towards the middle. It just becomes it just really drops the PI stuff altogether. And to me, it went a little too far into the superhero stuff, but I do think it pulled back at the end. Actually, I thought the last two or three episodes again, did a good job of balancing those two genres. So I was interested in them both. I wish that they, both the PI stuff and the superhero stuff had been a little bit more woven together. Cause I think it makes this season feel a little bit inconsistent, but I did sort of enjoy both of them. There just wasn't always the right balance. It kind of did do the Daredevil stuff of, like, leaving the law aside. But I think almost mm-hmm. maybe it benefited Daredevil. Like, it was frustrating at the time, but it was benefited the show that it so quickly went, look, we're not interested in doing this legal side of stuff. Yes, Matt's a lawyer, but that's not what this series is about. For me, I, I, I did kind of feel like sometimes this, the other stuff was getting in the way of the metaphor and almost the 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 big ongoing theme of the show of, of Jessica and her relationship with Kilgrave and the basically her being a victim of his abuse being this being this interesting really delicately handled issue that runs all the way through the show but at the same time this is a marvel show and i felt a lot of the time especially the super the superhero stuff got in the way of that like I, I think for the, for this story to work and for it to for it to have the relationship between Kilgrave and Jessica, Kilgrave has to have those powers. He has to have the power to get people to do what he wants to make all the rest of that stuff work. What I just wonder about was whether the show actually needed Jessica to be a superhero, or whether she just needed to be a hard drinking private eye who had got past a major trauma in her past. Whether whether actually it would have been just as good and maybe wouldn't have had as many distractions if she was just a person living in Hell's Kitchen who kind of learned to be a hero uh, through means that didn't include powers. Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't know if I have like a super strong argument for why it is a superhero show, although I will say I do like, it's the same thing I liked about Buffy, just watching, or Supergirl actually, watching like a small woman just kind of like do powerful things. It's just like cool, like on a visceral level. I'm yeah. like, oh, this is cool to watch. And that <laughs> is always enjoyable. Yeah, I think that they could have, 
I mean, so I haven't read the the Alias comic that it's based on, but I think my understanding is that Jessica maybe spent a little bit more time actually being a like trying to be a superhero before she yes. went into this new line of work. And I do think that something that's a little odd about this show is is I don't get the sense that she. I mean, I literally get the sense that she tried to do one superhero thing once and then Kilgrave immediately got her. And so that was always a little bit unclear to me. And I really, I think maybe the bigger problem is that the show is not very good at action. And in fact, I found Jessica's power is like incredibly inconsistent and difficult for me to track how strong she actually was. So it might, again, it might be more of a problem of execution than concept. I wonder if they had been a little bit more consistent with her powers and maybe played up her backstory with them a little bit more that, that it would feel less like Mm. it's coming out of nowhere. James, you, you had a problem with the powers, didn't you? It was more just the sort of low budget look of them. Like pretty much any time she tried to sort of do one of the, the magic jumps or whatever, it kind of, I just thought it looked cheap and it kind of sucked me out of the reality of the show. I was fine when she was fighting, like all that was good, but it was when they tried to take it further than that. Like, I'm not sure it really works. Mm. Um, one thing I do want to say on this topic though, is that the, the show as a kind of superhero show, like for me, I don't feel like the arc of the character is a kind of heroic arc. And like I've I've had dis- a lot of discussions about this with people and not really found an answer in that I think at the end of episode one, it's the show is setting out a kind of statement of here's Jessica's arc. She's going to kind of overcome her PTSD and rediscover the kind of part of herself that wanted to help other people. And by the end of the series, I don't think it hit that beat and... A lot of, you know, people say to me, oh, that wasn't what the series was about. And I just, I find it hard to interpret it any other way, especially based on that opening, opening episode. Well, so I, I kind of saw it as her, rather than her going back to helping people, it was about her, her getting to a resolution with the abuse because she was, she was in a position where she kind of blamed herself, where she was still suffering on a day-to-day basis from what happened to her and that that's what she needed to overcome in the course of this series. And I think what Caroline said about how it so quickly breezed through her actually trying to be a hero and helping people um, kind, kind of speaks to that, that that wasn't, that, that wasn't what I felt was at the core of the show. Um, I mean, because in, in the comics, Jessica is someone who wants to be a superhero is a superhero and it goes badly and she stops. Whereas I I think one of the key differences between the Jessica of the comics and the Jessica of the show is that, um, and I say this in the nicest possible way, but I think the Jessica of the show is kind of a bit of an asshole. Like she's not a nice, (laughs) she's not a nice person before or after what happens to her. So I I think James, you said this, that Jessica in the comics hates herself. She is, she's a PTSD victim who hates herself. Whereas the Jessica of the show seems to hate everyone around her. Like everyone frustrates her. Um, You know, and she, she does have irritating people put around her like Robin and Ruben upstairs, but she seems, (laughs) she seems even beforehand, like when we're seeing the flashback to Patsy and Jessica in the bar, like she, she sees the douchey guy and she has to humiliate him. And she's, um, 
Yeah, so I, 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 de- I never really saw this character as a superhero. I saw her as someone who tried to go out and do good once, um, but really <laughs> what was at the core of it was she had this traumatic experience with Kilgrave that she had to overcome. Do you think she did overcome it though? Like I, you know, the, the, you know how the final scene of the series is her kind of deleting calls for help off her phone, and I just kind of think, well, has she really kind of escaped that trauma, or is she just still being defined by it? I think it's almost a little bit intentionally subversive, and this is the same way I feel about the Hunger Games series too, which is actually doing similar things in terms of looking at sort of like. PTSD and how and like what's one person's responsibility and I think it definitely does not give us a traditionally satisfying arc of like here's a person with a problem they overcome that problem and they're stronger at the end it's sort of like and I agree with both of you it's like here's the person with the problem mainly her problem is that she keeps trying to run and escape this and then at the end of the first episode she's like I'm going to confront this Hmm. and it's very traumatic to try to confront it and by the end it's like not satisfying it's not a satisfying like, she beat him, she's going to be a good person. And that, I think, is, like, what's cool and adult about it, is that it's not, it's not like, oh, I get rid of this threat, and now I'm this chipper, happy person. But I do think that that as much as Jessica is, like, 100% an asshole, I do think she also <laughs> does have a core of caring about people. It's just sort of hidden away. Like, you think she yeah. had the opportunity to run, but she wanted to stay and save hope. And... Yeah, she'll definitely dress down people that are in power or that are, like, abusing their power, even that, like, douchey guy in the bar. But there's always been this core of if it's someone that is weaker than her, her instinct is always to help them. And she has that with Malcolm and, she, I mean, even with Ruben, like, she, I feel like, has some weird affection for him. So it's mm. just, like, she's a very reluctant hero. And I guess I didn't take the end as her rejecting her heroism it's just like it's gonna take some time and she needs people like malcolm in her life to sort of be like no you should you should do this i'll answer your phone for you since you're not taking this first step yourself yeah i think that's interesting i think probably as a character she seemed to me that yes she did have an instinct to help people but it wasn't her first instinct Mm -hmm. and maybe that's why she wasn't a good superhero or why she isn't a traditional superhero. And maybe that's not something that she will always be, but just it's some it's something that when you are in a situation, when you've got a character who is in a situation that she is in with her and Kilgrave, that's so intense and so all-consuming that almost you don't want to switch the focus away from that. And as a character, it makes it a little bit easier to understand why, for instance, yes, she eventually helps Malcolm, but she kind of mistreats him first. And does the same things to her neighbours and, and, and a lot of people, really. Um, and I think I think the interesting thing with how she is so protective about Hope is that, for me, Hope seemed to be so clearly set up as a Jessica mirror. As mm-hmm. this is this is this character with a slight tweak on her situation or someone who isn't quite as strong. And, and how, how, you know, with, with a slightly different turn of events... Um, a character can completely be consumed by that abuse and doesn't manage to escape it. And so we so we get this, we, we do get eventually a semi kind of triumphant story for Jessica, but we also see the alternatives of how this kind of story can end. Yeah, and it's kind of like, I feel like a lot of these superhero shows, a lot of superheroes actually, they have this whole thing about like, should you kill someone or not? Which personally to me, I don't know, that's never been something I connect with because these worlds just seem so heightened anyway. And instead of like having the decision rest on whether or not you should you should do it or something, it's kind of just like, yeah, sometimes you have to, but it 
still sucks. And like that in a way is cooler to me than these things that are like, no, they'll never kill anyone. And they're just always going to find a magical third way. And like, I won't kill you, but I'll let you die. Like that Batman thing. I think that, (laughs) that it's like, I don't know. It's satisfying in its own way, how the show treats sort of death and defeat and success. Hmm. That's funny actually, because like one of the things that I really didn't like was that she kind of killed Kilgrave at the end. Um, Partly because I think in terms of the metaphor, like saying, oh, don't, you know, if you confront your abuser, you know, you might be able to snap his neck like that. That wasn't thematically satisfying for me. But similarly, I think like the the fact that Hope died for me meant like there's no outcome of this series that can that can be wholly triumphant in any way. And it kind of it felt more like Jessica was motivated by revenge at that point. Um, and it, you know, it just felt like an ugly sort of ending to uh, see to, uh, the, I, to the series. I read that slightly differently. In that, hope was the one thing that was keeping Jessica from killing Kilgrave. Like that, she wanted to kill him and she wanted to take him out because she understood that was the that was the way to oh, no, yeah, overall yeah, yeah. do the best thing. But once hope was dead, so it didn't it didn't play as it didn't play as revenge for me. It played as. Here is our, and also it served as a very narratively convenient thing to keep Kilgrave from being killed until the episode mm-hmm. until episode thirteen, <laughs> which I found very very frustrating. <laughs> um, but yeah, it didn't it didn't kind of sour the end for me in in that regard. I agree, it's kind of an ugly ending, but I guess I just feel that that's intentional in a way, and that's kind of what I'm responding to and liking about it is that yeah, the world isn't perfect by the end, and this isn't a superhero world in which like the Avengers save everyone and no one dies, you know, except for like the one good Avenger who had a good death. Like this is a world where it's like, yeah, really bad things happen, but people Mm. still go on. And I always like when stories, when stories are able to sort of embrace that darkness without just becoming totally pessimistic in the way I think some dark TV shows can. I think that this one does a good job of balancing the hope, even though I think I agree that it's totally embracing the ugliness, especially at the end. So, Caroline, would it be fair to say that for you, that one of the things, or maybe the thing that the show does most successfully is explore that relationship between Jessica and Kilgrave, between, you know, uh, a victim and her abuser, um, and how it maintains that metaphor throughout the course of the series? Yeah, definitely. I am... I mean, I, I kind of hate being like, oh, here's a female-led show, but all I want to do is talk about Kilgrave. But I actually think that, <laughs> um, like, in Kilgrave and how they create this character, it, it like, it, even though it is a male character and that's what you're exploring, like, it's, you're sort of exploring the female experience by encapsulating this very specific kind of abusive guy who, on the surface, you would never think is abusive. And that's what's so interesting to me because I think it's so easy if you want to do a story of abuse to just be like here's a bad guy and he's always you know ugly and violent and drunk and beating people but this it shows how like how Kilgrave is his mind control powers are terrifying also really cool to watch but like terrifying from an in-world perspective but what's even scarier is the way he can manipulate people and, and without his mind control and you see it when they have him trapped and he can sort of talk people out of problems but you just see it in the way he can sort of turn a conversation especially one of my favorite episodes is episode eight where they're in jessica's childhood house and Mm. he's he never mind controls jessica there but he keeps sort of like trying to turn the tables on her and and tell her this is all her fault and you know he's like well you did this to me the only reason i'm acting like this is because you did this to me you made me this way and that's like 
that's like language 101 of what manipulative abusers or psychological abusers do. And I think the show is very aware of that. And it's very mm. smart about like making Kilgrave charming. It's in the same way that what they did with Wilson Fisk and Daredevil is so interesting and sort of going against the grain, you know, making Kilgrave this charming, almost like just budging up against likable guy, I think is, is such a cool choice. So yeah, I was really intrigued by, by all the Kilgrave stuff and how I think Jessica's at her best when she's dealing with Kilgrave because she can just like drop all pretenses and just be like a total jerk to him, but a way that's so <laughs> like fun to watch. You're right. And in, in a way, I mean, and so this is something I struggled with throughout, throughout the whole show in a way for all of those things that you just said, it makes such sense to cast a guy famous for playing Doctor Who. Yeah. This charismatic, <laughs> bubbly, really lovable version of Doctor Who. But at the same time, I kind of wished a lot of the time I didn't have the Doctor Who baggage because Tennant's performance got so close to that character <laughs> on so many occasions that it it's I mean I mean and the fact that he was doing his English Doctor Who accent as well. I mean it just, it felt a little bit too close to me. And I, I sometimes felt that like I just, I, I had a little bit too much baggage from that character that I couldn't, that almost because I'd seen this character already, I couldn't quite buy Tennant as Kilgrave. And yeah. I, 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 that might, <laughs> that might be a niche problem, but it's, like, a, it's I, a problem I kind of had. I definitely had that, that kind of reaction to him. The problem I had as well was that I, like, Possibly because of the performance, but I I felt like I liked Kilgrave more than the other characters. Like, I wanted to spend more time with Kilgrave. And it was kind of... If he's the villain and, like, a literal rapist, I you know, I don't feel like there should be any part of me that's going, oh, it's, you know, it's really fun when he's around. Let's let's see him go and save more hostages, because that was hilarious. Like, I but just... That's int- but that's I, the contrast like, with what I, well, that's the thing. Said, I, isn't I it? get that it was intentional, but there was nothing that undercut it for me. And and I kind of... It wasn't until... There was a moment in the final episode, actually, where he's kind of staring out onto the rooftops and it's like this transformative moment of, oh, he's actually a complete psychopath. But I just feel <laughs> like they could have peppered moments with that in there a little bit more. Like, instead of it being full-on David Tennant, Doctor, all the way through. You see, this is where I think we disliked it for different reasons, because I, I was definitely never... I was definitely never on that point of view, James. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was definitely always thinking this guy is a horrendous, horrendous monster, and uh, and and mostly that I I I kind of didn't want to spend time with him. I I would have rather had spent time with Jessica and Luke Cage and Hogarth. This is the thing I liked like, more than him. He he was a monster, but he was the only person in the cast who felt like they were having fun. And I found that a bit too infectious. I, I'll kind of split the difference here because I definitely know what you mean about like when he died at the end, I had the simultaneous thoughts of like, yes, this is great. And also, no, now David Tennant won't be in season two. And that's a weird like duality to be in, to be both happy and sad about this villain dying. But I think that they do. I think that they do a really subtle job of every time you're sort of like, oh, I'm enjoying him or I almost feel like I'm on his side. They undercut it really well. And I think that they're pretty good at pointing out in the way that like whenever he's sympathetic, it's because he the character in world is specifically trying to present himself as sympathetic to someone else. And then he'll under, he'll 
you know, you're like, oh, I think I kind of like this guy. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know, tear the skin off each other's faces if I don't come back in two hours. And you're like, oh, whoa, this, no, this is a bad guy. And so mm. I kind of like how they play around with that. And again, maybe it's just because I do find that this is relating more to sort of how I think sort of abuse happens in the real world with that charming yeah, aspect. Yeah. So, so, but I do know what you mean. Like, and I kind of feel the same way in that it is, it is weird to me when I, and I was writing about the show for AV Club and I kept wanting to write about Kilgrave and I was like, but this is, it is Jessica's show. And I think at its best, the episodes find the balance between them. But mm. I do know what you mean about he's like the only chipper presence in what is otherwise a sort of more somber show. Mm. I think what bothered me about the show, and I mean, uh, d- Caroline, you you mentioned I think was it episode eight the uh, mm-hmm. one where they're in, when they're, they're in the house together. I almost kind of wish that the show jumped straight from episode eight to episode twelve. Um, yeah, because there's I, I I thought the show was at least three, if not five, six hours too long. Um, and I mean that that episode eight, which is great, but you get Jessica to a point where she has gone through this like moral dilemma of what if I can get this character to do good? What if he is redeemable? And then realizing, no, that is insane. Um, and, and then we go through these kind of three or four episodes where we're locking him in a cage and we're doing, and honestly, I thought episode nine was one of the most, um, embarrassingly written episodes of television that I had the displeasure of watching for a long time. And it kind of, and it kind of solidified for me watching episode nine, so many of my little quibbles with the show from throughout. So one, one recurring problem for me was that Jessica was not very good at being a PI um, and not just not good at being a PI, but not good at plans in general. Every time she seemed to form a plan or form an idea or go, this is what I'm going to do. I was like, but how do you think this is going to resolve itself? <laughs> so like when she when she brings the person, uh, when she brings the parents into the room where he is locked up, I'm like, how Jessica, how did you think this was going to end? And there's one point in that episode where she's like trying to find the parents and she does it by Googling something like, Manchester rugby who managed to find <laughs> one guy and, and uh, I just Listen, it works it was, for Americans. It, we every time we hear the word rugby we just shut down. So <laughs> it plays fine over here. <laughs> there was I just thought there was there was so many little clumsy moments there and particularly episode nine there was lots of just I just wish this had had like one more dialogue sweep across the entire thirteen episodes. Just someone gone and polished up all the dialogue because sometimes it was it, it just wasn't quite there for me. And also in that run of episodes, we got the whole stuff with Simpson becoming Nuke um, from the comics, which again was something that I thought probably was was emblematic of, of the show's struggle with its comic book and superhero origins, because this is in no way an adaptation of Alias. Um, but you've got someone like Nuke who kind of, you using him, and I, I thought that Nuke was being used as a parallel to Kilgrave for Patsy. Um, except that relationship, that the metaphor never really quite works because Simpson begins off being Kilgrave controlled and then is being pill controlled. Um, and it's kind of dancing around the comic book origin of that character in the same way that I kind of felt like I, I liked that the show didn't go too close to the comics with the whole Jessica Kilgrave stuff because the Kilgrave stuff is so well fleshed out in terms of that metaphor because 
that is something that really you don't get a lot of time to go into in the comics because Jessica and Kilgrave spend so little time together. Um, but at the same time, the show is doing the kind of standard like, oh, here's this silly costume from the comics. Pff, I'd never wear that. Jewel, <laughs> that's a stupid superhero yeah. <laughs> name. And it, 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 I just felt it had a very complicated relationship with that kind of stuff. I thought it probably could have... If, if it, for the route it wanted to go down, it could probably either completely shy away from some of the comics, Marvel-y stuff that it was doing, or embrace them. Uh, but it, it didn't really get a handle on doing one or the other. I So Simpson, for me, is the number one thing that I think works so well in concept in the show, but works yes. not as well in execution. Yes. And it took me a long time to understand what the show was doing with Simpson. And the weird thing about watching a show like this is that so often on TV, the creators are unaware of when they've created a problematic character. And so it's one thing to be like, oh, you know, if this was the real world, it's okay if the other characters don't realize that he. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. He's a jerk, but the show has to realize. And for a long time, I did not know if the show knew that Simpson was a jerk or not. And once I realized <laughs> that they did know it, I was super on board with it. Because I actually think Simpson, to me, is less a foil for Kilgrave and more one for Jessica. Because it's sort of an example of, you know, after Jessica went through this trauma, her instincts were both to withdraw to herself and, like, to some extent to help people. Like, she did still go about this PI thing, even if, mm. you know, if she's not a sunny superhero. Whereas... I think Simpson, because he had his agency taken from him, his instinct is to get super protective and paternalistic towards Trish and also to just take action and in a way like prove his masculinity. And so he's like, I need to kill Kilgrave and I will not be a man again until I kill Kilgrave and I don't want to listen to anyone else and I don't care that Jessica has more knowledge than me. I just need to do this because this is my weight. This is how I'm going to prove myself and like, you know, just feel like I'm reclaiming my identity again. And so he's slow, like he starts out once he recovers from the trauma, you're like kind of on his side and he seems like a pretty likable guy and, and showing how he devolves into his own form of abuse, which is also like, you can talk about how the show 
how, you know, in real life, people always say that abuse tends to be a cycle and people that commit abuse tended to have been victims of abuse at one point. So I think all of those things are working so well on an intellectual level. I agree they're not working so well in execution. And I also really agree that I think all of that would have been stronger if they didn't feel the need to bring in the red pill nuke thing. That's a case where inserting that superhero thing is actually like we were talking about at the beginning. I think it is sort of getting in the way of what they're trying to say and it's complicating things a step farther than it needs to. And now we have this whole thing about uh, drugs and is this a metaphor for drugs, which I don't think the show is really engaging with. So I don't know. Simpson for me sort of embodies the best and the worst things about (laughs) Jessica Jones. You're right. I mean, there's, there's a couple of aspects where the show kind of, I mean, I thought the show kind of like sort of flirted with the idea of addressing race as well, but Mm -hmm. never really did. Um, and, um, I mean, there was a, there was a lot. Of, I mean, I really liked the Carrie Ann Moss character of Hogarth, and I liked the I liked the way that she was being set up as a character. And I was wondering, but how is this little mini show that she's in going to play into the wider narrative? And I and I never really feel felt that it did. Other than uh, I didn't really feel that it achieved much more than setting up a very interesting character who I would like to see again, and I hope Carrie Ann Moss is back in some future Marvel show, whether that's Jessica Jones or Iron Fist or whatever. But it, it never really coalesced for me in terms of the wider narrative. I mean, it's kind of weird actually because I thought one of the things that was a problem with Jessica Jones is that it it didn't feel like there was anything in there that they didn't tie to the main plot eventually like even going so far as to have the support group turn into this kind of crazed mob for one episode <laughs> oh which i hated yeah i hated like, that too like i thought the support group was a really good thing and like part of me was thinking well maybe one of the endings for this could be like jessica goes and sits down with them and starts to kind of address her trauma but instead they turn into like pitchfork wielding mad people can we all agree that robin is the worst she <laughs> is the worst <laughs> But again, like, I see what the show's doing. I can always see what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. She, I think, is the worst in terms, like, definitely the worst in terms of execution. Although I am not, I don't really like Hogarth, so I'm surprised to hear that you're a fan of her. But I don't know. I see what they're trying. It's like Robin, it's the funny comic relief. All of a sudden it gets dark. And then at the end you're like, wow, that was surprisingly emotionally effective. Except it never was any of those things in execution. (laughs) But, yeah, I I think, so you were saying episode 9 sort of went off the rails. I agree. Episode 10, which is that one where she has to do the thousand cuts and everyone's going to hang themselves. And, like, I don't, to me, episode 10 was just, like, this weird torture porn show that was not the show I was watching. And, mm. again, I think, like, episode 9, where we get that traditional villain in the glass cage thing that every superhero show has to do now, th- that, to me, is where the, the show really sort of went off the rails. But I did think it ca- came around in the end. And I think the second-to-last episode episode 12 which is i don't know it's not the most action-packed thing but it's where we sort of like luke comes back and he gets woven into things jessica goes back to doing the pi stuff we finally get a really satisfying fight we get some nice that to me was like the show at its best was sort of balancing everything really well so i agree that things were sort of wonky at times but to me it's it's equivalent to how daredevil like we talked about sometimes got a little off the rails or you know i wasn't always Like, I didn't always care what Foggy and Karen were up to. That, to me, is sort of equivalent of what Jessica Jones does. I I would kind of love Marvel to say, hey, look, we've we've had two shows and we're broadly happy with them, 
But from now on, we're going to bring the order down to 10 episodes per series. Mm -hmm. And even that, I think, might have been a little bit too much for Jessica Jones. But I think at least some of these ideas and some of these, like these things that you're talking about are conceptually very strong that you can Mm -hmm. see what the show is trying to do. You can see all of the kind of the scripts pulling these ideas together. But because the show as a whole feels a little bit too baggy and because because some of these ideas are a little bit overstuffed or a little bit confused, um, maybe just losing a few hours from the show would would keep all of those kind of narrative ideas tighter or at least would keep them attached to a plot that feels a little bit more taut for 10 hours rather than 13. Yeah, I agree with all that. I just think, to me, I can see all the weaknesses you guys are pointing out, but to me, I guess it's just a matter of they didn't bother me as much. And, and maybe there's just something about like the specific humor of this world that connected with me. I always found Jessica an engaging protagonist to follow. Yeah. And I agree. So I actually think she's a really great PI, but I totally agree with your point that she is terrible at making plans. And to me, that was actually something really <laughs> endearing about her because yeah. she was trying so hard. And clearly this was not her skill set, but her like perseverance, I really enjoyed. And so, yeah, that like it was, was not... even down to the very last episode where she is, she is... Uh, she gets Patsy to dress up as her to walk yeah. into the into the is it the train station where yeah I think uh, so. she's going to confront and then she is going to run past in the background except she <laughs> waits until Kilgrave has seen that it's Patsy and then all the cops see that Jessica's there and start shooting her. I was like, <laughs> what? What was your end game here? And even down to her final confrontation with Kilgrave, she has no idea whether or not she's still under his thrall at that point. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just wanted her to, at, at some stage, to know what she was doing. <laughs> I thought that would have been nice. I, it, what, what I said about her, maybe uh, about her being a bit of an asshole, I have no problem with because I think that's one of the coolest things that a show like this can do, which is go, look, we've got an awesome female character as our hero. You don't have to like her; you just have to follow her as your main character. And I did like her, but I liked her in spite of her kind of dickishness. Mm-hmm. Um, something I super, super loved about this show um, was Luke Cage. Um, yes. I, I think that seems to have been a pretty <laughs> consistent thing. Um, and again, uh, Caroline, like you saying, you know, not wanting to go on about the men in this show all the time. Um, but Luke Cage is awesome and I would like to see more of him. Uh, but I, what I really did like was his relationship with Jessica. Um, and... Um, there's been a lot made of the sex scenes in the show. Um, the, the the only thing that bothered me in the whole Jessica Luke Cage arc was the was the kind of reaching the Jessica telling Luke what she was responsible for. Um, I thought it was pretty clumsily handled in terms of the the end of that episode with her literally screaming. He didn't kill your wife. <laughs> Ellipsis. Yeah, that was pretty terrible. <laughs> that was that whole confrontation was pretty awful, but it's one of those like, oh, this is necessary. But I agree, Luke, for the like that that like weird scene apart and like Mike Coulter is great, but he could like no yeah. one could make that dialogue in that scene work. But <laughs> I agree that everywhere else Luke is really great. And I like how mostly like, this show, is, it doesn't make a big deal out of how much it flips traditional gender roles, but you do have this really unlikable or, like, this really hardened lead who happens to be a woman, and then, like, the beautiful babe that always, that, like, she finally can let her guard down around, and that just happens yes. to be a guy. Like, it's such a nice 
Even to the point where it's like, okay, babe, you go take a nap in my bed and I'm going to stay up and do PI work all night. And like, that to me was such a nice inversion of these tropes, but it wasn't... And he does, he does kind of get damseled quite a few times, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, for sure. And it never really like, it didn't, it didn't make too fine of a point of it, which I appreciated. And again, it's so funny because Luke is like this giant, like he's not what you think of when you think of damsel in distress or man in distress. Mm. And I like how it can play around with those things. And that, I think, is when the superhero stuff works. It's like, oh, yeah, this skinny girl and this giant guy are equally strong. Like, that I thought was really yeah. fun. And the show absolutely ogles him as well in a, in a mm-hmm. glorious way. We get, to, <laughs> we get to get a good old look at Luke Cage, and I enjoyed it on every single occasion. Uh, James, what did, what did you like about Luke? Because I, I take it you were a big fan as well. Yeah, I just... I appreciated that it was a really good translation of the character. Um, Because, you know, I'm a nerd, so I like that sort of accuracy. Uh, (laughs) uh, I just, I liked how he was a kind of gentle and reliable presence in in the world of the show, because it didn't seem like there were many people like that. Um, And that was one of the things, actually, that, bothered me about that episode six confrontation was that I didn't believe that this Luke Cage, like in, in spite of all of his trauma, I didn't believe this Luke Cage could have it in him to go and murder someone. Mm. Even if he thought it was the person who killed his wife like that, it seemed like they were, they were changing the character to fit this story idea they had in mind. Um, yeah. So that was one of the, that was one of the areas that I thought it fell a bit short. Um, and to hit on one of the supporting characters who we haven't talked about very much um, is uh, Patsy Trish Walker, um, Jessica's, uh, I guess, um, adoptive half-sister in this. I'm not quite sure how that works. Kind of sister, kind of best friend. Um, and this was another one. I really liked their relationship, but I wasn't quite sure what the show as a whole was trying to do with her. I wasn't sure why it was relevant that she was a character who in the comics is Hellcat. Um, and I was slightly confused with the show setting her up as this kind of character who had resolved to be competent outside of having a superhero best friend so she could look after herself. And yet the show did keen, seem to keep damseling her in the same way that it did Luke Cage. What what you guys thought about her? I really like Trish and I always appreciate when shows or when superhero stuff sort of puts female relationships at their center, because so often you only have, like, one girl in a movie, and so there really can't be any female relationships. <laughs> um, so I... And I don't mind that Trish... I mean, she does get damsel a lot, but like you said, Luke does, too. Like, to an yeah. extent, that's just what happens to everybody that's in Jessica's life. So it I didn't feel so. particularly egregious to me with Trish. I did think that you get all that cool intro where she's this like Krav Maga expert and she's all tough. And I really liked her first fight scene with Simpson when we don't really know who he is. We just think he's a random cop attacking her. I thought was great. But then I thought all of her fighting got kind of dropped in a weird way. And she never really got back to that until we had the, the new confrontation. And even then it felt more like that was about taking the pills than about her sort of Mm. abilities. But I think like Luke, she's just kind of like a good man in the storm and and like a good presence in Jessica's life and so so yes I can see some inconsistencies there I think her character was consistent if her even if her skill set wasn't and like she's just always kind of there she's like yeah I'll drive this car in this getaway and I'm you know she's like take charge but but in a very different way than Jessica is and in a more logical way 
I really liked her. Um, I really liked Rachel Taylor's performance. Um, I thought yeah. she had quite a lot of um, Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl in her, but in mm. the kind of not in the kind of um, Gone Girl spoilers, um, psychotic murderer <laughs> kind of way, but in the in the former like the amazing Amy, former like child ingenue almost child mm-hmm. star who who had this kind of ego i guess but vulnerability as well about what about her experiences um and i just i just thought that i thought the performance was really great like she and mike alter and uh, i mean it, there are a lot of good performances in here um james what, what do you think about her being hellcat well like initially you kind of assume because in the comic she's best friends with carol danvers who is captain marvel so obviously not mm. available for tv appearances uh like you kind of get the impression they they thought oh you know she's got a superhero best friend in the comic so it'll be a different one in the tv show but then like the point in the comics is that she feels kind of abandoned by that community and specifically by carol whereas in in the tv series like they're always in each other's lives and i you know i feel like her being a superhero was kind of like being a superhero in her, in her own right was you know, it was leftovers from the adaptation rather than something that would have served this program hmm. specifically. If you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like it just it worked, but it could have worked if it had been any other character. Like it worked no better for it being Patsy Walker. Hmm. And so James- I mean, I, oh, sorry. I kind sorry, of no, you're fine. I kind of knew going in that she was based on this comic book character, but that doesn't mean a lot to me because I don't know the comics. And so, I don't know. To me, she doesn't really feel like a superhero at all in this adaptation, which no. to me wasn't a problem just because I don't know the source material and also am, am pretty co- like chill in general about sort of adaptations making major changes. So it felt more like Jessica just had a normal friend to me. And to me, that worked fine. But I do understand it's weird to pull a character from the comics if you're not going to actually... Do anything I mean, with I, that character? I don't know Hellcat at all from the comics. I'm like, same as you. I, I'm like, aware be- she's a character, but that, so what? What it seemed to me was, I, I was curious why they'd made that decision, and I mm-hmm. wonder whether giving her a pill towards the end of the series was some leading to something like that they could do later down the line. Well, whether like, that that was why they took that approach. Like to be fair, like Patsy Walker is a very kind of minor superhero, and I just think. Given how many other characters they invented for the show, it probably like they probably should have just done done that if they wanted Jessica to have a kind of sister best friend figure. Because yeah. I I think calling her Patsy Walker created some expectations that that didn't help the show in any way for me. Mm. Um, James, to, um, to stick with you for a minute. So t- talking about stuff, talking about the comic adaptation, this being an adaptation of Alias, because I'm sure we've got some listeners who are. Um, you know, big fans of that source material or know that source material and are probably wondering what our resident comic book expert thinks (laughs) of this as an adaptation. Um, Of the stuff that was retained or of the stuff that was lost, what what particularly did you or didn't you like as taking this character and story from the page to the screen? Uh, I think the relationship with Luke Cage was really well adapted. Hmm. I think the the kind of continuing influence of Kilgrave even though you know she had ostensibly escaped him I think that was really well handled uh those early episodes where Kilgrave is absent but um but Jessica is still feeling his effects in in the 
that was something that I thought he did really well from the comics and that it wasn't actually adapting anything specific, but it had that vibe of Jessica investigating something else, but this cloud hanging over her the whole time and this paranoia kind of, you know, clouded around her. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- like, the problem is that Alias the comic is kind of... It's so good and it's so nuanced and subtle and i don't know like if people have seen me write about it elsewhere they'll know like my opinion of it is that it's probably the best comic marvel have published in at least the last 20 years probably longer than that Hmm. and i think coming to it coming to this series through that lens like the you know the tv series never really had a hope of living up to that kind of reputation like i would say anyone who liked the tv series should go and seek out those comics because they are like flatly phenomenal so in a way do you think it almost benefits the show that it did almost so entirely move away from what the comic was and almost move away from who jessica is in the comics to kind of just loosely take the idea the central idea and build a different show around it yeah, I mean, I can't, you know, I can't disagree with that because so many people have connected with this with the series in ways that I didn't, and clearly it's because, you know, it, it had strong ideas and it did did its own thing with them. Um, mm. At the same time, the things I liked about Daredevil were almost exclusively adaptation, uh, and you know, there's a much bigger body of work for Daredevil to draw on, but it still mostly came from from Frank Miller's comics. So it's you know. It can be done in a way that satisfies, you know, comic nerds like me and people who come new to the series. Uh, Jessica Jones didn't do it, and that's fine, but it's something that, you know, I'm going to have to learn to deal with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did a great job of adapting the sex scenes as well, I thought. (laughs) And the the toilet scenes. Yeah, Jessica (laughs) sitting on the toilet is one of the few things that goes uh, directly from the... uh, from the comments to the show. <laughs> um, I've got a couple of questions. First of all, what has Netflix and Marvel got against older black men? Um, <laughs> I did notice. And two, what does, what does Claire Temple have against people's eyes? She, <laughs> uh, again? <laughs> well, also, what, I mean, what a weird way to use Claire in this show. Like, she really just be, all of a sudden is not in this at all, and then all of a sudden is the, the star of the finale. It was such yeah. a weird was mix. A- and, and Rosaria Dawson is so great, and she has such amazing chemistry with everyone that it is really engaging to watch, but it's just, like, <laughs> such a bizarre choice. Like in, Specifically I- in the finale, to, to bring her in to have enigmatic yeah. conversations about Daredevil. It, just, it was a very bizarre choice. Like, they so, spent so I mean, much time Netflix, in hospitals, too. Netflix yeah. were clearly trolling us with the whole... Um, another a friend from the neighbourhood shows up to help out because (laughs) (laughs) they clearly wanted us to think oh we're clearly going is it Daredevil is it Daredevil and I think it really works on like for for Jessica to reject that help it really it really works from a story point of view but god I was like no I want to see Matt Murdock again I miss him bring him back for five minutes I know (laughs) I really thought we were going to get a cameo <laughs> and but then and you're right as well. Um, Claire Temple, Rosario Dawson is so great. You see her in those scenes, and you're thinking, God, give this character her own show. Screw her having to hang around with these other people yeah. for just give her her own <laughs> show. She's that good. She is that good. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I, I wish she would stop sticking things in people's eyes. 
Yeah. <laughs> I do like this show gets to sort of the like nitty gritty of having superpowers in a way that I don't think a lot of these things do. And like the down, you're like, oh, being indestructible, that's great until you have to go to the hospital and no one can help you. And, <laughs> yeah. and even though I never felt sympathetic towards him, like the idea when Kilgrave sort of explains the downside of his powers, it is just such a cool like follow through. Oh yeah, that would be really hard if you had to live your life being so careful to never say a command. And especially if you develop that power so early when as a teenager, all you do is demand things and to not understand the difference and to have no one teach you morality. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of all that nitty gritty stuff was like very, I don't know, that was very interesting to me. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed all that. That was very interesting. I didn't need the whole midichlorians approach of... Oh yeah, that um, was terrible. I don't like, know why. Yeah, did that we have make any to have sense. Kilgrave running around with a placenta for three episodes trying to test out... How, I mean, especially when in the final episode kind of it, it wasn't going to make any it's difference irrelevant anyway. yeah <laughs> yeah i didn't need to know at any point actually how his powers worked and that stuff was all going on in that kind of fallow three episode period between episode eight and episode 12 i mean that um, <laughs> that's the kind of thing where explaining it more makes it less believable Yes. Like mm-hmm. they go, oh, it's you know his powers are caused by a virus, and you're it's like, it's an airborne virus. What, what virus does that? Sorry, but what? you've all you've also got to hear his voice, and yeah. if you do things with placentas, it will make it more powerful. <laughs> you uh, can just hear it on the speaker. <laughs> it is a weird. It is a weird thing to. And the Flash did this too, actually, recently, where they're like, we're worried our audience doesn't understand the concept of parallel universes, so we have to over-explain it. When that's a pretty basic concept, I feel like mind control is. No one is confused by what mind yep. control is. Like, we all understand that sort of idea of magic. For this, so the need to be like, well, our audience will be confused, so let's explain it more. Like, no, we, we're on board. We, we understand and, what and it is. And it's so strange that it makes such a big deal of that towards the end of the series, given how streamlined it had been in explaining Daredevil's powers, Luke Cage's powers, mm-hmm. um, and Jessica's powers, just kind of going, y- you get it. Let's carry on yeah. with our storytelling. <laughs> Very strange thing. And it's another one of those really superhero comic booky things that I feel like the show felt they needed to shove in there, and that doesn't quite jive as well with the rest of the world. Hmm. I, I I do think this the show has a very complicated relationship between its central themes and metaphor and being a Marvel superhero show. Um, and sometimes it hugely works for its advantage, and sometimes it holds it back. Um, and it's very interesting in that regard. Um, and I want to talk about that in relation to pretty much our, our final point of this discussion, which is where does this show go next? Because it seems to have been fairly positively received. Um, the noises coming out of Marvel seem to be that the TV universe and the movie universe are, are probably going to remain fairly separate. So there is freedom to do lots of stuff with these characters on Netflix without bothering about how it really impacts on the movies. So I would be surprised if we didn't get a series two of Jessica Jones and there seemed to be stuff in there that was setting up future stuff, whether that is future stuff that they want to do in a second series of Jessica Jones or whether that's stuff that they were trying to establish for Luke Cage, Iron Fist and the Defenders. But we will see Jessica Jones again in the Defenders. But I mean, we talked about this on our Daredevil podcast about what we'd like to see them do next. But given that Kilgrave is gone, and given that the thing that we liked most about this was that central metaphor, uh, metaphor, what does the show do if it comes back for a second season with this character, and how and and how can it replace that stuff in at the center? 
I mean, I have a lot of sarcastic answers for this, but no, no, no actual ones. Because, <laughs> I mean, in, well, in the I comics, get... what, what happened after Alias finished was that she stood around in the background holding Luke Cage's baby for, you know, about six years. <laughs> so I would not like to see that happen. No. <laughs> As for what they could do, you know, I'm... Also, thank goodness they didn't do the pregnancy thing in the show. Yeah. I, I, for, uh, like uh, that, Caroline, yeah. the, Jessica, it, at the end of Alias, is pregnant with... Um, Luke Cage's baby. I mean, um, I'm this... all for Luke and Jessica having babies, but maybe not within <laughs> the main plot of yes. one of those shows. <laughs> yeah, I think to be fair, this version of Jessica's not not reached the point where the comics version had by the by the time she got pregnant. To be fair, there is a great little nod to that actually when the guy in the in Luke's bar is like, "Oh, do, do you like Luke? Do you want to have his babies?" And she's like, <laughs> oh, "No." <laughs> so a, God, I thought I thought that was uh, really cool. Um, Caroline, what what would you do next? What would you want I to see? I don't know. This is my concern, too, and, like, why I was slightly bummed that Kilgrave was killed, even though I think it would have been awful if he had lived after yes. this, because there's so much of this season that's like, we got him, he got away, we got him, he got away, we got him, he got away. <laughs> um, I think, so this, I was surprised at how few flashbacks were in this season to the time when, when um, Jessica was under Kilgrave's control. And I 100% agree with the decision to not show any rape scenes, and I hope that's a... Con- Uh, decision they continue to make but i do think it's really interesting to see their dynamic in public because again like talking about how kilgrave is so charming when you see two attractive people out to a on a date and they both look happy you don't look at them and think oh one of them might be abusive but in reality that could be going on so i think there's a power in those flashbacks so there's a potential for season two i think they're setting up this igh nuke secret government thing as being the new overarching villain but i do think there's a potential to have Kilgrave in flashbacks maybe as a way to not not weigh Jessica down with that but just to be like oh yeah this is not a thing that she can just get rid of now that he's dead it's you know it's still part of her and mm-hmm. I, I you know I kind of want to see David Tennant back in some form I don't really want him to get like resurrected or anything but yeah I think I, this season I have enough goodwill towards it that I am optimistic about what they can do in season two even if I agree that there's not an obvious <laughs> path yeah. to take so what I'm hearing from you, Caroline, is that you'd quite like a My Name is Earl kind of approach where Jessica is flashing back to her time with David Tennant, remembering the terrible stuff that she did while under <laughs> yeah. his control and then yeah. going and ticking that off a list yeah. in the present day. Yeah, that'd be great. My like name just going is to a Jessica restaurant. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fantastic. Um, okay, well, I think that's probably probably it for our discussion. Um that was good. I feel I feel like we we worked through some issues there. Um, Caroline kind of served as mine and James's therapist there, kind of like talking <laughs> us talking us through. Um, generally, I really like a lot of this show conceptually. I think there was just a lot of the execution, and I think especially, I think maybe those like those three or four hours I keep talking about towards the end bogged me down a lot and made me forget about a lot of the stuff that I liked. Well, yeah, I was gonna say because it. Like, when I think back on the show, and it's such a dark show, but I think of those really fun moments, that's to me what stands out. Like, that scene where they're at Jessica's house, and the neighbor says that that Jessica always used to wear dresses with her high tops, and Cougar's like, oh, I couldn't get her to wear a dress. And she just goes, I'll wear one to your funeral. Like, to me, that is what I'm thinking about when I think about the show, those, like, darkly fun moments. So I do think of this as entertaining and engaging, even as it's dealing with really dark things. So it sounds like we actually have very similar sort of thoughts and concerns but for whatever reason i'm responding more towards the things i like whereas you guys are responding more towards the Mm. the weaknesses i think 
It's like you say that 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 central metaphor was something that I was completely expecting to see uh, because of the final arc of Jessica Jones and because that hang because that looms so large over Alias that I don't think I was able to fully appreciate it because I took it for granted. Um, and I, I don't know whether that was the case for you, James, or whether there were other things holding you back. Was it just your general love for Alias? Certainly, to an extent, it was the fact that I knew, like the the bigger beats, I already knew and assumed they would be in there, so they didn't surprise me. And it was kind of like maybe I was looking at the the smaller things they did with more attention. You know, I think that that's probably likely. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it was it's weird because like it wasn't like I thought it was brain dead in the way Agents of Shield got for me. Yeah, like you know, there was there was a lot about this that I liked. It was just a I found it frustrating with the choices it was making. Hmm. A dialogue than, yeah. polish would have worked wonders as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. But uh, um, yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, Caroline, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast again. Um, thanks so, for having me. So if listeners want to um, hear more of your thoughts on Jessica Jones, they can head to the AV club. Is that correct? Yes, they can. I reviewed all 13 episodes in three days. So lots of, sort of slightly rambling uh, immediate thoughts from me. <laughs> um, and is there anything else you'd like to plug while, you, while you're on the show? Anywhere, anywhere else listeners can find you? To, yeah, <laughs> if people want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Caroline Sita over there. Over there. Excellent. Well, I'm not going to go through the entire uh, normal rigmarole at the end of the episode, given that this is a special episode. Uh, but listeners, we will be back next week with our Iron Man 2 episode. And just to let you know what we're going to be doing over Christmas, that will be followed by the Iron Man 2 mini-sode. And then we're going to have like a two-part end-of-year Christmas special Um so we're not going to be disappearing at all over Christmas or anything. We'll just be pre-recording you some fun stuff. Um, and then we'll be back in the new year, back into the uh, full schedule um, in 20, 2016, which I think there's maybe 37 new superhero movies released. So we should <laughs> looking Looking forward about. to Dawn of Justice. Yes. <laughs> okay, but that is it for this week. Um, and we'll see you next week with some Iron Man 2. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.